Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 22 in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 22. Back in the text, back in the text together, working through the book of Matthew, I checked the date on this one, and we have been in this book for over two years already. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I know it's a good thing, but you know what I mean. And this is sermon number 86 through the book of Matthew. This started back when I saw the church and the world fighting over opinions and ideas and all these things. A lot of division, a lot of people upset. And I was trying to figure out, how do you settle this matter? And I said, you know what, we're just going to go right back to Jesus and what he has said. He is the, the way, the truth, and the life. So let's just settle the matter. Um, let's settle my opinions. Let's settle our opinions. Let's settle the world's opinions. Let's just look back to the straight truth. The Gospel of Matthew is the most comprehensive of the Gospels. And we go through all kinds of different issues, all kinds of different um, things regarding society or family or um, our calling and we kind of see from all different angles you get the full perspective and worldview of the Lord Jesus and that's what we've titled this series Jesus worldview and we are almost done we are not far from being done we we're just six chapters out about five chapters out and we'll be wrapping up the book so all of you who have joined me on the journey um, congratulations. I, I hope you're blessed. I hope it's worked out great. Um, but we are almost done. And uh, I've really enjoyed this time in the book. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 22. We'll cover verses 15 to 22 today. And the title of the message is, if you're taking notes, render unto God. Render unto God. You know, we kind of know uh, oftentimes, especially since we just hit Christmas or uh, holiday season, what we like to give uh, to someone. We kind of uh, figure out their personality, their likes and dislikes, and we are even iffy about the gift when we give it. But generally, when we give something, we have a genre or idea of what we might give to them. But the big question I have definitely asked, I remember asking um, even when I was younger, is what do you give to God? What do you give to the one who has everything? How do you bless him? What do you render to God? And today we see Jesus say this in our text before us. I want to look at it closely together. We are in Matthew chapter 22. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we're reading. Not mine. My words can never change you. God's word will change you forever. Prom I promise you this. You will remember the words of God long before you ever remember the words of me. And God's word will continue on hundreds of thousands of years into the future as it has from the past until now. And we remember these words, but we don't remember Many people's words, we remember these, they continue on forever and ever. So we anchor in his word, we stand for the reading of, uh, of it, and we focus on it carefully each and every Sunday. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 15, take a look at your text. It says, Then the Pharisees went and took counsel together about how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to anyone. Therefore tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their wickedness, said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought it to him, a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they mar marveled and leaving him, they went away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see what you were calling us to do. 
what you are calling us to render unto you. Lord, that our, our vision would be clear, that our calling would be precise, that we would know and understand you, your ways, your knowledge, your wisdom for our lives. Bless us as we look at this story. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We are still in the middle of Passion Week. If you want to know context, we are in the middle of Passion Week. Listen, listen, as you read the Bible, it is important that you always understand the context of the scriptures that you are reading. Even in a children's book, if you open up to the middle of a children's book and uh, it says green eggs and ham, um, you, you, you don't know exactly what the context is and what's going on. And why would you take that out and then build an entire story around that when you don't really know what it's about? Same thing with the Bible. People will zoom in on one scripture in this entire text and they will pull it out and then build an entire narrative around that when they actually don't even know what it says around that, what the story is about. And so anytime you're studying the Bible, it is important that you read the chapter before, read the chapter after, then read the chapter in the middle and that verse that you're really looking at to understand its context. So then you can have full understanding of what is being said here. You hear people misquote things all the time in the Bible and even say things that aren't even in the Bible, but they think they're in the Bible. Um, but the Bible doesn't say those things. And there is always context wrapped around every single scripture. And it is crucial that we understand it. I'd even encourage you, if you're trying to really understand a specific scripture and or paragraph within a text, to read the entire book or letter, and then you will have full understanding. Know who the author is, who's writing it. Know what time frame it was written in so you can understand the culture of it. Then understand the characters around what's being said and who is saying it. Then understand why that person is saying what they're saying. The Bible means what it says and says what it means. It's very clear. And you don't have to look far to find its meaning. It is wild to watch people take a scripture out and try to explain what green eggs and ham is. And you laugh at that because you understand the context of Dr. Seuss in that book. Uh, that's why we have context and meaning. But if I said it to a crowd who had no context or meaning of the book, they say, green eggs and ham? Why would you even bring that up? It means nothing to me. Um, so it is important that we zoom in and understand the context. And that's why I keep reiterating it week after week. We are in Passion Week in our story. What is Passion Week? It's the week that Jesus died on the cross. It's the week that he rose from the dead. It's the week that he started on Sunday riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They were proclaiming him as King and Messiah. And his first act of King and Messiah, he walks into the temple and he clears out the den of thieves and the money changers and he condemns it. Then the next day he curses a fig tree and it withers and dies as a picture of the fruitless Israel or people of God. The Lord condemns the work of the, rel the religious leaders and their empty shell of religion. We saw the religious leaders challenge the Lord in his Messiahship. He not only proves his authority, but he reveals their fake hearts and he reveals the true heart of God for sinners. And then we see the Lord tell two, two parables. And the first was about the big picture and history of salvation, how the nation of Israel rejected the prophets of old, but God is still choosing to save in this day and age. And then remember we saw a similar parable showing uh, the same points through a wedding feast. And really the whole earth being invited to this wedding feast, but sh few show up. And then we saw the one guy go in and he missed the dress code, remember? He didn't have the right clothes on. And he was taken and really thrown out of the party. The dress code was crucial. And the dress code for that party that was crucial was that of faith. Not of anything else, but truly believing God at his word. Many were invited to the wedding, but few show up. Many were called, but few were chosen. And today in our text, this conversation keeps going. We're in the middle of this Passion Week. And today we see the religious leaders trying to challenge Jesus again with a question to entrap him. Because they wanted him dead. Did you know that? Jesus was the nicest guy to ever walk the earth. And they wanted to kill him. Why? 
because he told them the truth. He, they didn't like what he said. They didn't like how he challenged them. He undermined all of their religious establishment and legacy of the past. All of their robes and fake religion on the surface. He says, you guys are dead. You're dead inside. You got all the garb on the outside. You got all the movements. You got all the stuff. But you're dead inside. You don't even know God. And they hated that because he called them on the carpet. Verse 15 tells us in our text, take a look. Then the Pharisees went and took counsel together about how they might trap him in what he said. Matthew gives us insight into what is happening behind the scenes. These Pharisees were actually plotting and counseling as to how to trap the Lord in the things that he has said. This is crazy. It gives us a look into the behind the scenes of humans. Now, doesn't it? People are talking about one another far more than you would imagine. But sadly, there are those in the world, even in the church, who talk behind each other's backs to actually tear a person down, plotting and planning how to tear them down. They did it to Jesus. They will do it to us. Now, I was shocked as I read it again, though my eyes pass over this many times, they plotted against the Lord. But my mind was taken back to this scene, basically in my mind's eye, really thinking through these guys standing in a circle and be like, okay, Jesus is doing this. He's doing that. Okay, what do you guys think we should do? What, look, come on, let's have a, I mean, did they have an hour discussion, two hour, three hour coffee discussion over tea? I don't know. Sitting there plotting and talking, table talk, as to how to trap the Lord. And they would finally come up with an idea. They, they, get, they get a package deal together and like, we're going to bring this to him and we will lure him in and trap him. Isn't that crazy that they did this? They sat down at Starbucks over coffee to entrap him. Psalm 55, 21 says, his talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. The psalmist knew about these characters. And I've seen this in our city far more than any other place, to be honest. I had a guy come up to my window in my truck in Encino just this last week. And he tapped on my window because he wanted to tell me something. And he looked Hindu, from what I could tell, because he had a red dot on his forehead. And he said, how are you? And I said, great, thanks. And he said, wow, you are full of happiness. I said, wow, thank you. You know, he says, God has blessed you. Your countenance is wonderful. You are a blessing to people. I can see God has blessed you. You look like a movie star. I said, really? Wow. Thank you. Then he says, but I see you carry burdens, but you're a good person. Then he said, I'm a palm reader and a face reader. I said, wow, thanks for the blessing. He said, what do you do? And I'm dressed like this, but I have a hat on. And I'm in a, a gnarly looking truck. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. I oversee a church in Studio City, and his eyes got this big. He looked at me like, what? And then he gently changed the script on me. He said, well, God bless you. Would you kindly give something to the temple? I said, no. And he was like, what? Because I could smell it coming from a mile away. Flattery and excessive compliments to rope me in. This guy was good. I was even talking with one of the brothers on the phone as it was happening because he interrupted. And the brother was on my speakerphone in the car listening to the whole thing. And I'm like, looking at this guy. And I'm like, what is he doing? Dude, this guy is good. And then he, he wanted to rope me with that, with that donation. And uh, the, the best of the best are in this city, no doubt. But I don't give money or charity to false gods. I'm sorry. No hard feelings, my man. I didn't say that to him, but I just said no. And I just said, thank you for the blessing. I appreciate it. And uh, he walked away just looking at me like, what in the world just happened? Because I know he knew he had me. 
But he didn't, praise God. Psalm 12, 2, his talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they, again, are drawn swords. Psalm 35, 20, for they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful schemes against those who live quietly in the land. I remember watching my grandma watch TBN day and night when I was young. My grandma didn't have much money. She actually cleaned out her entire retirement fund to buy groceries for us as kids. And uh, we lived on food stamps and government cheese and milk and all of that. That's me and my brothers. And uh, my grandma cleaned out her entire retirement. And I remember she was sad at the end of her life that she didn't have any money for her own burial. She had spent it all. And I remember watching my grandma watch these TBN shows, and I would watch these televangelists basically convince her to give the little that she had to their TV program. And I never told my grandma, like, Grandma, don't, don't do that, you know? Because, I mean, I, I knew that God would honor her anyways. But I was ticked inside. These guys were working people over. They don't need any more money. He's got a billion-dollar jet. A billion dollars in a jet. This is ridiculous. You don't need any more. What are you doing? Just taking people's money. These religious leaders were fake. And they're still around today. And so church, be wise and prayerful. Jesus told us we are to be sheep, or we will be sheep sent out amongst wolves. And to be wise as serpents, but soft as doves. Be wise as a serpent, and then be soft as a dove. Thank you, but no thanks. These religious leaders were out to trap the Lord, but this was a big mistake, and I want you to watch Jesus' tact in his conversation. Verse 16 says, They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful, and teach the way of God in truth, and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Oh, that smooth talk. They pump him up. Give him a couple nice words and compliments. These Pharisees sent their disciples to him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, didn't even send, didn't even go themselves. They had already been challenged by Jesus. So they send their, their disciples, they send their guys out. And they, they approach the Lord with Herodians. Now the Pharisees, very interesting, they were actually against the Roman government. The religious sect of that time was against the, against the Romans, but the Herodians were just that, followers of Herod. And they were for the government, and they were followers of the government, and they would institute these rules and laws. So what are these two opposing views doing working together? Well, they had a common enemy, Jesus. So they would put aside their disagreements in order to take him down. And look how they do so. They try to butter him up in verse 16 by calling him teacher. Hey, teacher, talk with us. We're here to learn from you. We know you speak the truth and teach the way of God. You, you aren't partial toward any one group or over another, so would you please kindly tell us? You see how they approach him to pull him in to answer the question? Please tell us. And here is their question. Therefore, tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tax to Caesar or not? Taxes. Tax season coming up. You would think by now they would know who they are trying to trap. How can they be so foolish as to think they can trap the guy who heals the sick, who does miracles, who has wisdom beyond anything they've ever seen? But foolish people are not reasonable. And they ask him, is it lawful to pay our taxes to Caesar or not? What do you think? Let's have a talk over taxes. Why would this be a question that would trap him? Church, think it through. Bible students, why would this be a question to actually trap the Lord? A question about taxes of all questions? Well, because if he says, yes, you should pay your taxes, then it shows he is siding with Caesar and the government who is suppressing the Jews, and the Jews would turn against him because they don't like what the Romans are doing to the Jews, overtaxing them, taking advantage of them. But if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, then he's going against Caesar and the government, and they could report him to the authorities and have him arrested, you see? So they think over their Starbucks talk, they got him trapped. So they think they have got the Lord, and look how he handles them. 
Verse 18, look at your text. But Jesus, knowing their wickedness, he said, I love this. Why are you testing me? But, huh? Notice, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Jesus knew their wickedness. He knew all of their plans before they had one. He has read the back of the book, and he has all the answers. He saw through their flattering words. He saw their wickedness, and he asked them, Hey, Jesus, so teacher, please tell us. Oh, kind teacher, please help, help us understand. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? What do you think? Why are you testing me? You guys are hypocrites. I mean, he just pulls back and just hammers them in the face. It doesn't get any more direct. He's not passive whatsoever. Um, how does he know that they are testing him? He is the Almighty. He is the one who knows all things. And even more than that, those disciples standing there who maybe have never had a face-to-face -face conversation with Jesus must be sitting there with their jaws on the floor. Did you tell him about Starbucks? How does he know we are testing him? And how does he know we're fakes? Jesus uses this term hypocrites 13 times in this gospel. He says, I see your hearts. I see you're just testing me, you hypocrites. The word is hypocrites. It means an actor, a stage player, a pretender. They were acting, pretending, faking. They were trying to hide or mask their true intention. And you can fool most people this way, but you can't fool God. And that's exactly who they are standing in front of. Church, listen. There is no acting in front of God. Did you know that? There isn't. You stand before God alone. You die alone. You stand before God alone with no one else. Isn't that wild? You can play all you want here, but when the moment comes, there's no more. There's no more acting. No pretending. No persona. He sees straight into the heart. It is one of the great attributes I love about the Lord, even if people get my motives wrong or my face wrong, because my face doesn't always tell you what my heart feels. Honestly, I forget to tell my face to smile all the time. I'm like really happy inside. Be like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm okay. I know the Lord knows my heart and I can always be real with him. Even if no one understands me, he truly does. And though people can fake me out, they can't fake God out. He sees through all the games. There is no acting in heaven. Did you know that? There's no acting in heaven. You don't get to be anyone but yourself. Isn't that crazy? You could try. What are you going to do? Peter's looking at you like, what are you doing, dude? Doesn't work. <laughs> we can see. <laughs> can you imagine if all of us were turned inside out? You could not see genre, culture, skin color, language, tribe, background. You couldn't see any of that. All you turn everyone inside out and all you could see is the real person. That is the currency that should be exalted in the city is not wealth or status or fame, but kindness. You measure a person by how kind and how humble, how loving they are. You don't get to be anyone but yourself, and God is pleased with that. Did you know that? That's how he wants it. He loves you just as you are. Don't forget that. The person you really are in the secret place of your soul where you don't have to be anything for anyone. He made you and he loves you just as you are. He doesn't want you to be anyone else. He wants you to be who he made you to be. You. But we put on all this other stuff for everybody else and it never fulfills. It never satisfies. We always end up letting people down again, even though we tried to please them. 
I'm telling you, if you live in the fear of man, the Bible says it's a trap. It's a snare. You're going to fall into it. It won't work. It's broken. If you live and fear God alone and just live to please him, people will actually like you and love you for who you are. I know it sounds backwards and upside down from this city, but it is the way. Be yourself. People like the real you more than anything else. I've learned this over the years. The one thing I'm most attracted to I've met billionaires. I've met some really influential people. I've met, in this city, I'm shocked at how many people I've met in just a small eight years. And I have found time and time again that in my life, in my heart, for me, I'm most attracted to real, authentic people. At the end of the day, as soon as I see a real, authentic, genuine, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a real person. People who just are themselves genuine people are a rare find. But I believe all Christians should be these people. And I want to encourage you, Legacy, that you are these people. It's already in you to be these people. Just being yourself, just loving God and loving your neighbor. Just exemplify who you already are on the inside. Let God use that for his glory. And that actually is what impacts people to the fullest. It's when we try to be someone else that we, it doesn't work. It may work for a little bit, but it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. The salt of the earth kind of people, you know what I mean? Salty people. I like that term because it says a lot of things. It reminds me, honestly, of the ocean the most. There's people out in the water that I grew up being around, these guys, I mean... Anyways, that's another talk. Salt of the earth kind of people. You were the salt of the earth, Jesus said. You were the light. Well, these dudes are trying to front in front of Jesus. And no passive-aggressive talk here. Jesus doesn't play any games. He just smashes them between the eyes and says, You are testing me. I see it. And number two, you're a hypocrite. You guys are fakes, and they're standing before the realest person to ever walk the earth. He's looking straight through them. I'm sure they are shaking in their boots. Now watch the clever wisdom of the Almighty, verse 19. Show me the coin used for the tax, Jesus says. And they brought him a denarius. Notice, who provided the coin? They did. Caesar made the coin, but Jesus says, give me the coin. And where somebody pulls it out of their pocket and says, here you go. And he holds the coin in his hand. They brought him a denarius. Verse 20, that will be an important point for later. But verse 20, he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose coin does this belong to? Who made this? Whose face is on the coin? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If Caesar's face is on it, then render it back to him. The word render means give back. The word render means give back. So give it back to him. Pay the taxes to him. But render unto God what is God's and give back to God what is God's. And hearing this, they marveled. I love this. And leaving him, they went away. Their jaws on the floor. They're looking at each other like, was there anything in the meeting at Starbucks that told us how to respond? I, I didn't hear anything. They, they, they didn't say anything else. Okay, let's get out of here quick. And they took off. He trapped them. Notice again how he asked for a coin from their pockets. Watch this. 
which shows they are already the ones who give authority to the government already by using the currency provided to them by Caesar. Every time they use the coin of Caesar from their pocket, they submit to his monetary system in that society. So Jesus says, why wouldn't you pay your taxes? You already submit to the system. You use this currency. It was theirs. He traps them. And that's why he can say, pay your taxes. You're already submitting to the government by using their currency. Thus, you are submitted to them. So pay your taxes. And side note, I would encourage you to pay your taxes as much as we hate them here in California. So you don't end up in jail. Please do that. Look, look, I get it. Get as many write-offs as you can and credits as you can. It's free money and tax breaks. The government just gives out for free. They literally just give it to you for free. But pay your taxes. And I want to give you two main points here that are hidden right here in the text. This is a, always a difficult question, but an underlining question here is how much do we submit and obey the government? This is ultimately what they're asking, right? They're saying, do we obey Caesar? And if he says, yeah, you got to obey Caesar, then the Jews would turn against him. Or do we say no to Caesar? And then the Jews would say, yeah, but the, the Romans would arrest him and kill him. So how do you obey both? What do you do? This is the underlining question. The New Testament says these things about the government. Listen, I'll read scripture to you. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, first of all, Paul writing to his young Timothy First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. Supplications be made for them, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for the government. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Wow. Couple that with Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Wow. And then Peter, yes, that big burly fisherman who walked on water with Jesus, he writes in 1 Peter 2.13, Be subject for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What, Peter? Are you serious? So allow me to build the contrast. As you hear through these scriptures that we clearly are to submit unto authorities over us, well, where is the line? J.C. Ryle put it this way, if Caesar's coin, I'm sorry, if Caesar coins a new gospel, he is not to be obeyed. If he coins a new gospel, he is not to be obeyed. That is, if the government outlaws Christian faith and practice, we must revolt against such rules and pay the price of such a revolt. And as we see the apostles doing in the New Testament, when they were jailed and beaten and told not to preach the gospel any longer, as soon as they got out of prison, out of their jail cell, they went back to preaching the gospel to the point of death. They weren't jerks about it. They just went on doing it, being obedient unto God. Every single one of them did this. So we obey the government as far as possible until they go against God's word. Then we cannot... For we must honor our Lord and King first, the Lord Jesus. So we obey God first in the text, and then we obey our governing authorities. We are not to be revolting or rioting or tearing things up. We aren't to be doing that. We're to be submitting at the highest level, being at peace with all people at the highest level as much as we possibly can until they disobey the word of God and coin, I like the way J.C. Ryle put it, a new gospel. 
As Martin Luther said to the government of Rome in his day, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes or the councils, for they have contradicted each other, and my conscience is captive to the word of God, and I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is near right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no otherwise, God help me. And so, I want to encourage you, church, in this way. If you watch me closely, I am going to be wise as a serpent, yet soft as a dove. I'm going to declare the truth of God's word in this city as long as I'm here until I die. I'm going to keep declaring it, but I'm going to do it with gentleness as much as possible, with love, but I will not compromise on the truth. And we may not be in prison for being jerks. That should never happen. Maybe for preaching the word of God, but not for being idiots. Please don't do that. We love a lot of Christians doing that in this day and age, and it bugs me. Like, please stop that. You don't have to be a jerk. Jesus wasn't. He spoke the truth. And they didn't like it, and they crucified him for it. The same is true in this day and age. I want to encourage you to be wise. And, and to navigate to the culture around us and your workplace and your friends and your family members. Be wise. Take your time. Be prayerful. Wait, wait five seconds before you respond. Just five seconds. Watch it. It will do for you. If the text comes through and you're ticked off, put it down and come back to it later that day or the next day. The email, put it down. Come back to it later the next day. Do not respond in anger. Be wise. Take your time. This is a, this is a marathon run. We're not here to, to conquer in Christ's love overnight. That's not how it's going to happen. It's going to happen one person at a time. We are the salt of the earth. We're to bring flavor to everything, preserve everything. We are the light of the world. We're to shine in the darkest places. And the only way you get in there is not by being an idiot and a jerk, okay? Some of you are in places I will never be able to get to. Never. You're in there because God's placed you there. Now, allow his light and his gospel and his message to shine. Allow him to work through you and you use wisdom and prayer and walk with God and allow him to do great things in you. This debate has been going on forever. And again, with much prayer and wisdom, let's walk in a manner worthy before the Lord and our fellow, fellow brothers and sisters in the church when it comes to our relationship with the government. We cannot be dividing over these things. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is so, this is so dumb. They literally divide the church and then conquer them. Yeah, don't you? Haven't you played Risk? <laughs> Come on. It, it, it's wild to watch when you step back. Watch what the church allows the world to do to it sometimes. Like, what are you guys doing? We need to come together in unity. If these Pharisees and Herodians can come together to tear down Jesus, surely the church can come together to bring forth the love and gospel and truth of Christ into this world? We must. I want to close with this. Jesus closes with this statement. Render unto God what is God's. Give back to God what belongs to God. Now let me ask you. What image is on the coin of your life? It is the image of God. Genesis 1, verse 26, we are made in the image of God, then give back to God what belongs to God all of your life. His image is on you. You bear his image. And so give all of your life to him, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, please do all for the glory of God. What is Paul saying in this verse? It sounds like all of our lives and all that we do should be, we should be doing it for God's glory. It sounds like a person who's giving up everything in their life to be a billboard, a picture, a worker, a servant, a witness, one who brings glory to God in all they say and do from the smallest things like eating and drinking to the, to the greatest things, whatever you're doing in life, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Might as well put breathing in there, right? 
John Blankard put it this way, a life not, ought not merely contain acts of worship, it should be an act of worship, the whole thing. Okay, so everything I do is supposed to bring glory to God because I've given up my life to God to be, to be his. I want to bring him glory, but how does this work practically, maybe you ask. How do I do that? Do I sell everything and become a missionary in Africa? Listen. You're like, I got a family to take care of. You know, we need money to live. Listen, there are ways to bring glory to God in everything that we do, even eating and drinking, whether it's in a restaurant and you're sitting there eating and you stop and pray. It's amazing. We were just at, uh, we were just at uh, Mendocino Farms. They're right here in Studio City. We, we stopped to pray for our meal, and the guy across the way sees us praying. And after we'd had a conversation for, I don't know how long, we had talked for quite a while, we get up and walk over there, and we're leaving, and he stops and says, hey, did you guys just pray? Yeah, actually, we did. We don't look like people that pray, I guess. <laughs> he wanted to see some robes, you know? You wanted to see something else. Yeah, we prayed. And it's like, yeah, we're Christians. And he was just like, you know, nervous, I think, that we, I was so just, yeah, we're Christians. Like, Studio City, you know, Mendocino Farms, like, careful. Blue Bottle's next door, you know, they might. <laughs> we're Christians. And this is the other brother here, you know, he's here too. Now he, he's a Christian too. And like, oh, wow, wow, there's a bunch of you. Okay. And then the other brother says, you know, uh, well, actually, he's a pastor. And the guy just, again, just looking at me like, what? But again, you can bring glory to God everywhere, in a restaurant or at Starbucks. You could bless the, the person at the counter instead of being a jerk to them because you had to stand in line for coffee. Say, hey, don't work too hard today, okay? God bless you. You know, don't work too hard today, okay? You enjoy your day, okay? I'll see you soon. We appreciate what you're doing for us. And then they, they, rem they remember that face. You come back the next time, and they're, like, looking for you, like, I think that's, hey, you doing okay? You know, God bless you. I hope you have a great day today. Don't work too hard, okay? Man, we're thankful for you. You make the best coffee in town. Man, they're kind. Because nobody's kind. We've been doing this David M Street for how long? It's been, it's been eight years, nine years. Every time me and Dave do coffee on Thursday mornings, and every time we walk up to that place, Kate is standing there and the other workers, and we bless them. We just keep blessing them. We've been doing it every week for eight years. We just bless them and bless them. What else are we supposed to be doing? Getting coffee? Shining for the glory of God everywhere. I want to give you, can I give you a quick breakdown of this? I'm, I'm okay on time. Are you guys Okay. Five minutes, okay? I want to paint the average desired American life and show you how you can bring it glory to God, okay? I want to start in college. Many think that a degree and going to college, the whole purpose of being there is to get a degree so you can get a job and make some money. But you know the real reason God has you there? Is to display the glory of God in that place. It's to have conversations with other students and professors it's to take time to, to bring God glory in that place. Because what happens if you're there for four years, you, you walk the stage, you get your diploma, and you die the next day? Oh, what'd you do the last four years? Lord, check it out. I got the degree, baby. Yeah, what about, like, You, you didn't realize that the person next to you was struggling right there, and they actually killed themselves a couple days later. You didn't realize that person's mom had cancer, and they were just waiting for somebody to pray for them. You didn't realize that professor was on the brink of going from agnostic to, to serving the Lord. You, you had no idea. You, you're so caught up in your own thing, you're not even taking time to try to shine in there. That's why I placed you there. You're brilliant. You're, you're hardworking. I, I have a plan for you in there. I want to use you for my glory. And then get the degree and then get the job and make money. You can do both. You can go to Starbucks and get your coffee and bless them. You can do both. It's okay and it's good to get coffee. I love it. It's great. It's a great drink. It's good to get a degree. Do it. But you thought you went to college to get that degree so you can get that job to make you that money. And that's part of it. 
But the degree is so you can get a job and be the light of Christ in your workplace and bring glory to him. Did you know why God gave you that job? I've been praying for it. I was hoping I would get it, and I got the position. Do you know why you're in there? Well, i got to make some money. That's part of it. You're in there because God placed you in there to minister to all these people in there. Don't you see? Let your light so shine before men and women that they would see your good works and start blessing your Father who is in heaven. Has anyone ever praised God for the way that you live? I thank God for you. You're the only person in this workplace who prayed for me. You're, the only, you're always so encouraging. Thank you. Nobody's perfect, but man, we can step into these environments and realize why we're there 40, 50, 60 hours a week with these people. You thought you'd go to college to get a degree so you can get that job to make money for me. You say, that's part of it, but the reason you make money, do you know what it's for? It's to give to God for his glory. I used to tell young people, I oversaw the college ministry for a while, we were seeing five, 600 young people. It was crazy and it was fun. And I used to tell them, please make millions and billions for the kingdom of God so we can preach the gospel to the whole world, to send out more missionaries, we can bless more families, we can take care of more people. Be generous upon generous upon generous, like God is generous. How about make more money so that no one in the church is in need? Not a single need in the whole church because someone is stepping up and taking care of every single need in the church. Not one bill not paid, not one, no person losing their house, nobody's losing their car, nobody's wondering if they got groceries this week. No, because people know why they're making money. It is not just to build a lavish life, but it is to be used to bless other people. Be generous as God is generous. This is what it's for. What is it for? At the end of life, you sit on a pile of gold. Do you remember, hear about that guy? Remember he filled his po pockets with gold? And he died and he went into heaven and he's like, God, check out all the gold I got. And God's like, just throw it over there. That's asphalt up here. We walk on that. We drive on that. No, we're not. It doesn't do anything. What is it for? You have to ask yourself this. Test it in your own life. I dare you to be generous to somebody. And then I dare you to be generous again. And I dare you to be generous for a third time. And then you do a litmus test. You decide whether or not it was awesome or not. And you will walk the ch watch the chains be broken from being around your heart of greed. And you will feel the pull to generosity from more people in the city and your life. And you will watch God bless you like you can't even believe because you're being generous like him. You can't take the money with you to heaven. Did you know that? But you can send it ahead. Matthew 6.20, Jesus said very clearly, do not store up for yourselves treasure here on earth. He said, don't do it. Where moth and rust destroys and thieves will break in and steal it. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That's what it's for. You gotta get this right in your life when you're young, because man, it will eat at you all the days of your life, and you'll be a slave to money all of your life. It's sad. We need to break those chains by using it for God's glory, amen? Can I do a couple more? We'll close. You thought finding a spouse was for you? I wanna get married, I want a relationship. He's so cute. She's so hot, man. That's part of it. But what God really wants is to see a tag team partner for the kingdom of God. Somebody that you are going to be with is going to pray for you. It's going to encourage you and vice versa. And, and, and you guys are going to run together and God willing, raise a godly family and, and leave a legacy in, in, in the city. You're going to use the marriage for God's glory. You thought buying a house was for you because you like the house in that side of town, huh? You got to get that degree, make that money, save it, you know, as so you can get that house, right? But do you know why you're really in that neighborhood? Minister to those neighbors. That's why he placed you there. 
You thought you had a house so you could have a family for your pleasure. That's part of it. But the main purpose of a family is to raise them in the ways of Jesus and to make disciples that they would bring glory to God all the days of their life and that your grandchildren would worship the Lord. You know what the point in being a grandparent? So I can spoil them and send them off. That's why. That's part of it. It's part of it. But the bigger part is that you would pray for your grandchildren because they won't listen to mom and dad, but for some reason they'll listen to you. Everybody loves grandma and grandpa. And you get to take them to go get ice cream and tell them about Jesus. You get to bless them. You see, whether you eat or drink or go to college or get a degree or working a job, making lots of money, buying a house, finding a spouse, raising a family, being a grandma or grandpa, if you're fishing, golfing, surfing, plumbing, teaching, buying, selling, browsing, watching, touching, talking, loving or living, whether you're eating at Starbucks or in a restaurant, you're having a coffee, whether you're listening in a pew or preaching behind a pulpit, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, why not do all for the glory of God? Do you see? All of it, the whole package. Render unto God what belongs to God. Give back to God what belongs to God. But you say, Josh, if I give up everything like you say to bring glory to God instead of me, it sounds like I'm going to lose everything. Jesus said, friend, Matthew 10, 39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for me, you will find it. Amen? That's the gospel. That's the message of the Bible. That is what this game is all about. It's walking with him. It's loving your neighbor. It's serving him in this city. I hope and pray, church, I hope and pray that this year we would see the church stand up finally and maybe impact this city in 2023 more than we have ever seen it. It's time for Christians to stand up and be serious about their faith, be kind to people, be loving to people, but please speak the truth of God into this society and watch Watch things actually change for the better. Amen? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would use us for your glory. Lord, I pray for everyone here today, every single person. You have called them. You have brought them here. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them you would reveal to them, you would open their eyes to see what you want them to do with their life. They would see how to use all of their life for your glory and still enjoy it and have a blast along the way. God, I pray that we would not get so caught up in the machine of this world and forget about you but that we would use our life to bring you great glory, that we would render unto God, render unto you what belongs to you. We love you, Lord. We pray that you'd go with us. We pray that you'd help us into this year. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.